We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get to some more. Wade Garrett, what is this? What is your sporting event bucket list? Either a place or event game. Well, I would, I would probably, I would like to, I would like to attend a Super Bowl someday. I, I will never happen. I'll never have enough money to attend a Super Bowl. Uh, but that'd be fun, you know, to be at a Super Bowl, maybe cover it or something, which again won't happen because we'll cover the NFL. That that'd be pretty cool. I've always wanted to attend a, a World Series game, preferably the Reds. But uh, I think that'd be a pretty cool event. Um, trying to think of some some others. I mean, I, there's there's like a lot of it's going to be college football games. Like I'd love to attend Ohio State Michigan. I'd love to attend the Florida Georgia game. I'd love to attend the Iron Bowl. I would I would love to attend you know like games like that. I'd love to go to the Red River Shootout. I'd love to go to that. That'd be so much fun. Uh, but other than that, like there's not a ton. Like I'm not a, somebody said the masters. I'm not a golf guy. I think watching golf is like the most boring thing in the world. I just, for me, again, this is for me. Uh, I don't, I don't enjoy that. I don't, and I also don't like, I don't love basketball games in person to be completely honest with you. I prefer watching basketball games on TV, but uh, football. I like watching in person, especially if you can get the right seat. But I mean, those would be like a lot of those football rivalries would be fun. Those, those yearly annual Washington, Washington state, Oregon, Oregon state. I'd love to attend a Rose bowl game at USC and UCLA or any Rose bowl that Notre Dame would a real Rose bowl that Notre Dame would play in. The problem with that is I'd have to go out to California to do that. And I'd just rather not go out to California, but for the Rose bowl, I would like the real Rose bowl, not the one that they played in like Atlanta a couple years ago, like a real Rose bowl in Pasadena. That'd be, that. that's about the only thing that could probably that or, or, or national championship game, about the only things that get me in the state of California. So, but I, I would suck it up for that. There's no doubt, but I mean, those are things that I'd like to see. Uh, you know, what's a one, here's one. I, I've always wanted to watch a game at Cameron and the only basketball place that I've ever won. I wanted to watch a game at the, at the at Boston garden, which I can't anymore. Cause it's, it doesn't exist anymore. And I would, I would love to watch a game at a Duke North Carolina game at Cameron indoor. I think that'd be really cool. That's the only other basketball game I'd want to watch. Uh, to be honest with you, there's some, there's some sporting event bucket list that I've actually been able to do. I've been able to watch a game at Wrigley. I was able to watch a game at the old Wrigley field. Um, 
I mean, excuse me, Yankee Stadium. I'd love to watch a baseball game at Fenway. I've seen a football game there. I would love to see a baseball game at Fenway. That'd be pretty cool. That's a bucket list item for me. I, I'd say before I started just disliking the game of baseball, one of the dreams I always had was renting an RV with Angela and just like literally spending a summer when I was retired, just driving from every to every baseball park in America. And just that that's my summer vacation. That would be so much fun. That would be a lot of fun. Like other things like NASCAR just doesn't do it for me, but there's things people have told me though, that, that if you actually went, you'd enjoy it. But to me, it's just like watching dudes drive in circles. It just doesn't seem like a lot of fun, but people have said it's really good. WrestleMania would have been cool as a kid, but I I don't really view that as an, as a sporting event. It's more of entertainment uh, is, is more that, but I mean, as a kid, that'd have been cool, but I just don't have the same investment now. Like, cause to me, like WrestleMania is like, are you invested in the, the characters, right? Like, so as a kid, I would have, oh, my Hulk Hogan, yay, you know, I'm a real American. Uh, as as a teenager, early 20s, I would have I would have gone to WrestleMania to watch, like, Stone Cold and The Rock. Absolutely. that Because I was invested in the characters. It was entertaining for me. Now, I don't know half the, I don't know hardly any wrestlers. So it just, it wouldn't be that much fun for me. And I'll be honest with you, sporting events nowadays is just not as much fun as it used to be. It's just, it's, it's, I feel like it's like every time I go to a game, there's some fight breaking out in the stands. It's just, I have no interest in that. I'm a freaking adult. I have no interest in that. So, um, but yeah, I, I think I don't see that as much as in college football. I don't, I, my sister used to get uh, season tickets to Redskins games and she's like, there'd be like multiple fights breaking out in the stands of every single game. It was just nuts. And I don't, hard pass. Hard pass for me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to some more here. John A1, and if the 2021 team has the 2022 offensive line, would that team have been able to compete in the playoff? Ooh, good question. Uh, yeah, I think it could have been able to compete. It would have depended on who they got in the first round, but I don't think any of the teams in the 2021 playoff were that good. I've said this before. Um, just, yeah, I'm not a 
I, I think I think so. Yeah, because I mean, offensive line, they'd have had skill talent. They'd had Kevin Austin was playing well late in the year. You had Michael Mayer, Lorenzo Styles was playing well. Uh, you, you'd have had Kyron at running back, Jack Cohn at quarterback, you know, pretty good defense. Kyle Hamilton probably would have come back for a playoff game. That might have helped. But it, compete, yes. Would they have won it all? Probably not. But I think they could have competed. They'd have, they'd have been competitive. But I don't think they still, I still don't think they could have beat Georgia. Even with the 2022 offensive line, I still don't think they could have beat Georgia. That Georgia front seven was because it's football is about matchups, right? And I don't think Notre Dame would have matched up well against Georgia in 2021. I, I, I think they could have matched up better against Bama than, than, uh, than Georgia. I still think Georgia would have beat them in 2021. That was that to me, it wasn't a great team, but it was probably the most complete team in college football last year. And I don't think Notre Dame would have beat them. They could have, if I caught a couple breaks, but I wouldn't have, I would have bet on submissive fights are the best part of the game, Brian, uh, to each their own pass pass on that one. All right, let's get to the next one from Hunter H. Says is the perception around college football changing about Notre Dame quarterbacks haven't had this talent in a while. I don't think it's changing yet. I think it will change after the season. I I don't think Benjamin Morrison being a freshman All American has necessarily changed the perception because I still don't think there's a lot of great vibes about about Cam Hart and he, like the All American list came out like the the Walter Camp All American list. Let me let me find that one here real quick. Um, but it came out and they had Benjamin Morrison on the second team All American list but he wasn't on the first team and so you know even then it's just kind of like uh they still being still being a little bit a little bit disrespected in my opinion and you look at the four dbs like they had Kalen bullock on there from usc uh cameron kinchins from miami kool-aid mckinstry from alabama he's pretty good and then Kalen king from from penn state who's, who's pretty good and then benjamin on the second team so i don't think having a preseason second team all-american necessarily moves the needle i think that'll change hunter after 2023 if the corners are as good as we think they are if that happens then yes it'll start to change but i don't think it's changed yet because i don't think the corners played great all of last year they played great at times and they played good most of the year not all of it but it's going to require them to play really well this year i mean hey look you go down there and keep marvin harrison from taking that game over and you you know handle your business against usc Okay, that starts to change the the need. That starts to move the need. and that's the other thing too is in the biggest match of the year, two of your three best cornerbacks didn't even play against USC. That was a missed opportunity as well. So it's changing in Notre Dame's universe. It's changing on the field. I don't think the national perception has changed yet. I think they're going to have to play really well this year, and I also think they need to have some draft success. To be completely honest with you, before um, before you could get to that point in time, so. All right, we got one from Brandon Plesner. Has the new NCAA president taken over yet? And do you have confidence at all that the whole NIL pay for player transfer portal issue is being fixed in the next two years? Uh, I believe he has, but I don't think it's going to get fixed properly. Like one of the things that that you're hearing, the concerns that that are coming out of the hearings that happened this past week in Congress is that there's going to be some sort of they're going to expand sort of their their uh, antitrust aspects of it to protect them from them having employees which i'm a fan of but then they're talking about maybe putting caps on nil which i think is absurd i don't there's no reason to have caps on nil none if a company is willing to pay a quarterback x amount of dollars to market their product there should be no cap on that there's no cap on anybody else getting products if you want to cap things and what you need to do is as you say you can put caps on the collectives here's what i would do with collectives I'd put caps on collectives and I'd say collectives can't go past X amount of dollars. 
And then those dollars have to be dispersed evenly to your entire roster, up to 100 players, say that. And you give X amount to scholarship players and then X amount to walk-ons. And if you don't have 85 scholarship players, that's fine, but you can't you can't then pay extra money to your players. So I'd say put a cap on how much money can be in the collective and then put a cap on how much money the collective gives to individual players individual players because you kind of spread it out. There's no one player's getting more than another through the collectives. Then you open up NIL to the free market. That's how I think it should be. So again, if if Michael Mayer is going to get a, a bunch of money because he is a marketable player, God bless America. Have at it. As long as it's a real exchange of services. And this is the whole thing with me. With This is why I hate co- the collectives the way that they are now is it's not name, image, and likeness. It's we're going to pay you to recruit you and buy you to come here. That's not what NIL should be, in my opinion. NIL, should, in my opinion, should be you're, you're, you're getting money off jerseys. You can autograph stuff and sell it. You can sell pictures of yourself that you autograph and sell to people. Uh, you can be part of a commercial thing. You can be a featured speaker at some event. You can start your own YouTube channel. You can start your own clothing line. You can do all these things to make money off your name, image, and likeness. And if people are willing to buy it, God bless America. If a company is willing to pay one guy $10 million to be a spokesman and, and another guy a million, God bless America. Because there's going to be some sports where the players are more marketable. I've always felt basketball players tend to be more marketable from a brand standpoint because you see their face all the time there's fewer of them on per team and and you see some of the sports that are like smaller number of rosters or smaller number of players one guy can be a star those guys are going to be more marketable that's why there's so many more guys that have a great nike shoes that are basketball players than we've had football players but i'm i'm a supporter of that what i hate is just these collectives just giving these kids money for just to convince them to come to school there. I don't think that's what it's meant to be. I don't think that helps the game. I think collectives can be very helpful if they're done correctly, but collective should not be a situation where a collective is being used to give $500,000 to a, 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 a kid that's coming there. I think the other thing that I would change if it was up to me and I was able to, to get it passed and, and be able to be protected from lawsuits is it, you, you if you sign a kid to a deal, it doesn't matter where he goes, you have to honor that deal as an undergrad. You you cannot, I would say, you, and you cannot have any conversations whatsoever. A company cannot, nobody can, can, can have conversations with a player before he's going to college unless it is a, it, like a company that is not atta- attached to a school. So if, for example, a kid, I, I want to pay CJ Carr a million dollars to be the spokesman of my company. I'm some Michigan company and I want CJ. It's not tied into any specific school. Now, yeah, I'm taking a gamble because my fans are Michigan fans. If he goes to Notre Dame, that's that's my that's my problem. But I can't have any conversation about, hey, CJ, you know, go to Michigan, here's a million dollars, or go to Michigan Terrier, or go to Notre Dame, here's a million dollars. It's hey, we think you could be a great spokesman for our company. We want to offer you hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever the case may be, and say, I don't care where you go to school. We're, we're on board with you. And I think that I, I would be fine with that. But this whole notion of I'm going to give some kid who's never proven a thing X amount of dollars to just come play for my school and there's no really exchange of services. I don't I don't like that. And I don't think that should be what NIL is about. It, it, it just it should. So collectives disperse money to the entire roster evenly 
I'm all for that. And then NIL in regard to if players are more popular, more famous, then they make more money. That's I'm fine with that. I'm I'm a fan of equality. I'm not a fan of equity. I don't believe in equity. I believe in equality, equal opportunity, not equal outcomes. Uh, I think when you start getting the equity, you start taking away the the desire to to work to be the best because it's just going to be I'm going to get this anyway so why should I why should I strive for greatness I think a quality equal opportunity I'm all for all for that I don't like I'm not an equity person so and that's what I don't like about caps for this type of situation I'm all for salary caps when you're talking about a, a team salary because there's the difference in markets and things like that I, I somewhat understand that but when it comes to individuals get being able to benefit off their name image, and likeness on the in the public forum there shouldn't be caps on that in my opinion there there shouldn't jared Rhodes says brian last year we all thought the hours were going to be really good we all felt let down a little how do you how do your feelings of the offseason compare to last year thanks for all the content well i think the thing this year jared is there's more knowns one of the things we said last year is but we don't really know Right. And, and so it was sort of a, we like this talent. We think this, we think that we, we hope this. And we've said before the March for error was not necessarily great in certain spots, especially like quarterback and things like that. Um, receiver was a question mark with all the injuries. And, and I just feel like this year, the roster is a lot deeper. I, I do. I mean, there's not a lot of NFL draft excitement for Notre Dame players. And why? Cause there's just not a lot of Notre Dame players in the draft. And, and so, cause I mean, you're almost your entire receiving core is coming back. Your entire running back room is coming back. You've added to your quarterback room, not subtracted from it. You lost one kid, added two that are both better than he is. You know, your your defense brings a ton of guys back. You've, you you lose Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adamiola. You, you bring in Javante Jean-Baptiste. All your linebackers are coming back. Almost your entire secondary is coming back. And so I just think that the, there's more, way more knowns, Jared, this year than last year from a player standpoint. Now there's as many question marks coaching-wise as last year because of new coaches and will this coach make a change and all that. But from a player standpoint, I just think the roster's healthier than it was a year ago. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, last year I, f- I felt let down a little bit by last year because of the Stanford and Marshall games. There's no question. And I think this team has to learn how to not lose those kind of games. And if they do, this team's going to be really good. But I just think the talent's so much better. And all the guys that we were hoping to break out as sophomores last year, they're all juniors now. They're going to be older, stronger, more comfortable in the system. And that's where a lot of my excitement comes from. But as, as Ryan and I have talked about, also, there's, this is still a show-me season for Notre Dame. There's still a lot to prove for this football team, in my opinion. John A1 asks, if Josh Burnham splits reps – with Jordan Patelho and puts in, in and is put in positions to succeed, what would you your 2023 expectations to be for him? My hope for Josh this year is that his numbers look a lot like Isaiah Foskey's as a redshirt freshman because he's not going to just split reps with Jordan Patelho. He's also going to be splitting reps with Jordan Junior to all mock up. And my hope is that you know he gets some some base base down reps and he gets some some uh, third down reps and he's has four to four and a half sacks this year as a, as a rotation guy, which is a lot like where Foskey was. So that's kind of my hopes for Josh. I just don't know if they're going to give him that opportunity or not. We'll see. We shall see. Archer four, five, two said NBA all-star Lori uh, McCannon will serve his mandatory finished military service this off season. Sun whom men's from soccer to the same for South Korea. Does this make you have more respect for them? I do. Yes. Is there a two part of this? 
athletes fulfilling those requirements instead of taking exemptions are the types of leaders I want on my favorite teams. I, I agree with you, Archer. I, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I've had people say, well, why doesn't America do that? So we don't need to. Part of the reason that those countries do that is because their populations are so small. It's like Israel has requirements for that. The populations are so small that the, the population as a whole needs to be trained if in order to, to fight, if it ever comes to that. If there's ever a need for war, then you need those people to be trained to fight. And by making them serve a certain amount of time in the military, then you can activate a larger number of people if you ever have the need to go to war. Uh, when I was a kid, we had a, a, an exchange student from West Germany. For those of that you are younger, um, Germany used to be split in two. East Germany was the communist part and West Germany was the free part, right? And uh, the, the wall came down, I think it was like 90, 91, and they unified again. But we had one from West Germany, which is the free part. And they had the same thing there. Like you had to, when you were eight, I think it was 18, you had to serve in the military for a year. And so that's why they do it. And the guys that, that get exemptions for that, um, that's fine. I don't dis, I don't disrespect them. I don't, I understand it. But the guys that choose to do that, that's very honorable, in my opinion. Just for me, it's very honorable. And I have a great deal of respect for that. Uh, especially now, when you think about it, with the first guy that you mentioned, was he from Finland? Ryan, can you bring up that first part of that question again, please? Is it gone? Okay, you undid it. So I don't know where he's from. Uh, I think it was like Finland or something like that. If you're in Europe right now, it's a bit of a powder keg. And so someone that's choosing to do that right now, that takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage. So, yes, I have a great deal of respect for that. Joseph DeJagger says, why not move Ryan Barnes and or Chance Tucker to safety if the staff doesn't want to move Clarence Lewis? Well, I don't think either of those guys move the needle. The whole point about moving Clarence Lewis is he's proven. I don't think moving a guy who's unproven to safety necessarily moves the needle. I think we've seen Chance, uh, we've seen, and I don't think Chance Tucker has the body to do that. I don't think he has the body to make that move. So that doesn't work. Ryan Barnes probably could uh, make that move. And we've seen him play a little nickel so far this spring. And and, and so I could see a scenario where maybe uh, he's playing some nickel and also some safety. I could see that. But the problem is you're you're not really you're adding another unknown to it. Where at least with Clarence Lewis, there's a there's a there's going to be a position switch adjustment, but there, it's it's still a bit of an unknown. I mean, it's a bit of a known. Um, that's kind of what you know. He, we know he can cover. We know he can do this. He can know these do these other type of things. It's just one of those aspects where there's going to be a safety adjustment, but there's a lot of things he already knows with Ryan Barnes this is a complete adjustment. And as we've seen with Xavier Watts and we saw with Ron Henderson, if it's an inexperienced player, it can take a year to really get comfortable at that position. And so I'm okay if they want to move Ryan Barnes, but I don't, I don't know how much Ryan Barnes answers the need right now. And, and I just don't understand their reluctance to move Clarence Lewis. It really just doesn't make any sense to me. It really, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Tyler Smith asked question I had yesterday. What is your top five memorable year in sports? I had, uh, I would have to say uh, 2006 when Ohio state lost to Florida in football and basketball championship that year uh, as my one. Hmm. That's a good question. So to me, trying to think back, there were some, there were some times back in the, I mean, it, it for me, it's going to be back in the eighties. I mean, it, it probably, it would probably be 1986 
probably would be a year for me that I would look back on and say my life probably the best year. Uh, that year is the Reds, uh, excuse me, the um, the Celtics won a title. They won the 85-86 title. Uh, it was Bird's last title, third, third, and I think the third year in a row in which he uh, won a World Series. I mean, won an MVP. Uh, the Reds were not great that year, but they were good. Uh, went to a lot of games that year, if I remember correctly. And then the Broncos uh, that year were really good too. And um, I think that year they, I think they went to the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, they played the Giants that year. So it didn't end with a win, but at the time, it's a big Broncos fan. But the Celtics were my number one team. I loved watching NBA games. With my dad, I told y'all how I used to bowl as a kid. My parents bought this van when we were kids, a Paul Sherry van. I'll never forget this. And this is back when they first started putting TVs in, in, in vans. And there was like TV like this big. It was black and white, and you had to dial. You can It's like 12 channels. And so we would bowl, and my dad and I, while my sister was bowling, would run out to the car. And this was on Saturday. So they had the Celtics games at like in the afternoon, and then the Lakers games would come afterwards. We'd go out to the car, and we'd turn the Celtics game on and watch it in the van. And so I uh, loved watching Celtics games as a kid. And the Reds, like I said, the Reds were good. There wasn't as many baseball games on back then. And then, of course, the Broncos were good that year, and I got to watch John Elway. So probably like 1986 would probably be one of my one of my more, my more memorable years in sports. Um, I'd have to think through some others. But, yeah, there, um, 1988 was a big one for me uh, uh, also uh, for a, a bunch of different reasons, obviously. Uh, but um, you know, 1988, you had uh, Notre Dame won a title, which was, was big for me. Uh, that year, the Broncos weren't that good, to be honest with you. So that kind of damped it a little bit. The Celtics weren't that good, so that damped it a little bit. But uh, I was also, as a kid, I grew up a Michigan basketball fan. And that was the year I kind of became a Michigan basketball fan, watching that Final Four and watching that NCAA tournament. That was a great tournament. And and so that would be another one for me that I thought was was, was pretty good pretty good uh see 90 93 would have been one another one for me uh again the broncos weren't as good uh reds weren't as good but uh obviously you had the final four for the fab five notre dame had that very memorable season um you know the reds sucked then the broncos weren't that good then but uh college sports was and that was kind of as i was starting to transition to being more of a college sports fan to be completely honest with you um that was definitely during that during that stretch when uh, when I was becoming much more of a fan of of uh, college sports than I was NFL sports. So I'm not much of a Michigan basketball fan anymore. I don't really follow basketball anymore. But when I was a kid, I I was definitely a Michigan basketball fan and a Notre Dame football fan. So I just never was someone that felt the need to like love Notre Dame and everything as a kid. More so now, but when I was a kid, it wasn't that way. And Notre Dame basketball wasn't very good when I was a kid that I remember. John A1 says, is it possible for Michael Bell to provide the desired depth at the nickel spot upon his arrival this summer? I don't know if that would be where I think Michael, he's small. And and I don't know if that would be possible. I, but I would I'll tell you this, John. Is it possible? That's possible. I I don't know if it's likely, but I'd give him every chance. I would give him every chance in the world to, to prove it because he just you just can't teach that speed. And I think, you know, I think Ryan might attest to this, but if if you're in a situation where, and I've told you all that about Michigan basketball, so don't act like you haven't heard that before. Um, but when you look at it from the standpoint of, of 
being a nickel, Mike has got a lot to learn about the position. And I think one of the things that could help him is playing the nickel could help protect him over the top with some of the size, some of the size things early on as he learns the game better. You can protect him a little bit better in the slot than you could outside. And, you know, but is he going to be as good of a tackler as Tariq Bracey was? That's one part of, of Tariq Bracey that I think it gets underrated. And, and Ryan talked about this in his recent film break or draft breakdown of Tariq Bracey. He's a very solid tackler in space this year. Had multiple tackles for loss. He, he was a good player for Notre Dame this year in a lot of different ways. And um, can Christian bring that? Because as a, as a nickel, you've got to be able to tackle. I'm not Christian, but Mike can bring that. you got to be able to tackle. That'd be my question mark, but I'd try to find a way. I'd try to find a way for him to be good, I, to, for him to play, just because he's so fast. If he doesn't, if doesn't make it, that's fine. You get ready for him for next year. But, uh, yeah, that would be my best guess. Irish Blood says, how close was Notre Dame and Bob Stoops being the head coach over Brian Kelly? Was also always rumored as basically done but fell through. Are there any others like that uh, that aren't as well known? So what I was told uh, back then and what I've been told multiple times since was is that but that Notre Dame reached out to Kirk Ferentz and Bob Stoops before they hired Brian Kelly because they knew Brian Kelly was going to take the job. But that's was Jack Swarbrick's kind of dream coaches was Ferentz and Stoops. I was told at the time that Stoops verbally agreed to take the job and very quickly, I think like within 24 hours, backed out because he just he, – he didn't feel he was done at Oklahoma just yet. I wish – I mean, I think it would have been cool to take it, taking it at the time, but um, that's what I was told. And so it was not a formal agreement. It was a verbal agreement and never got to the point where he signed the contract and backed out. But uh, that would be one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Archer 452, if Ohio State goes back-to-back -back in the first two college football playoffs, would Ohio State have taken the crown from Bama and established themselves as the top program in the CFP era? Uh, probably. I mean, look, part of the Bama's success was that they won. And by the time the, 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 the playoff would have started, Bama already had three titles. So it's not like Bama would have not been anything. Could that could Bama could Ohio State have done that? Possibly, yeah, possibly. Because now all of a sudden they're three to your two, and then maybe you start beating them for more recruits. But Ohio State missed a great opportunity. I still say this: uh, I, there was there was no team with more talent top to bottom than Ohio State in 2015. Nobody. That was an incredibly incredible missed opportunity by Ohio State because that team just it was more guys looking out for themselves and not not a very good team. And there was it was not great coaching on that team as well, but uh, I mean it could have helped a lot. I think I think what would have probably happened, Archer, is not that Bama they would have taken the crown from Bama. I think what would have probably happened is they would have become Clemson. They would have knocked Clemson out, and Clemson wouldn't have been that team. Uh, is is probably more likely. 
that's probably more likely than than they knock Bama out. Because like I said, Bama still had three titles, and there's a couple Bama teams that came away, came along the next way that were pretty good. And I don't know if Ohio State would have changed that. I think what they would have done is they would have changed Clemson's trajectory at that point. Mike Reddy asks, how would the D-line board differ if Brandon Davis Swain was still committed? Would the Smith twins still be a priority, or would they push harder for other guys, Williams, Thomas, Mayo, Lindsey? That's a really good question, Mike. So let's say Brandon Davis Swain was committed and not taking visits. So he was locked in. He's not going anywhere. He's not taking visits anywhere else. He's just committed to Notre Dame. I think I think it would have impacted the Smith twins for sure because I don't think Jared's an inside guy. I don't think he's big enough to play three technique. He's not like Jason Adamiola in that regard. I think he has to be most likely a big end. I, I'm not. I'm just not sure if I'd want him inside. Um, so you'd have your big end in the class. I think you know how does that impact Bryce Young? Do you or you know Bryce? Uh, do you see him in there, or do you see Brandon Davis Swain becoming a three technique? And and then how does that impact you know that part of it? So I, I think they'd still obviously still go after Justin Scott, but I, I wonder if this if the Smith twins would be still there. I think what you'd maybe still do is bring in Bryce Young because you could he could be a, a big between those two guys one of them maybe could be a three technique also and they could both be big ends and then focus your time on finding a viper i think that's probably what they would do mike is because i i think they would focus on justin bryce young and then finding a viper i think is what the focus would be on that's a good question very good question Irish Blood says, who is a power five level team Notre Dame has never played? Would you uh, love to see a home and home again? So there's some there's some teams like that. So I'm going to go to the Notre Dame Winsopedia page. I don't think they've played uh, – they've never played uh, Mississippi State. Uh, I And I don't care to ever watch them play in Mississippi State. It just doesn't mean anything to me. They have never – there's a couple SEC teams they've never played. They have never played – they've played Ole Miss, played them twice. Uh, they've played, um, see, uh, they've never played against Arkansas. We will see that happen. They will play against Arkansas. I think that'd be cool to see them play Arkansas, two teams that have some, some level of tradition. They have never played Kentucky in football. Don't care about that one. Uh, let's see here. So let's see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So that's 10 SEC teams that we've talked about. They've never played Mississippi state. They never played Arkansas. They've never played, Kentucky, and they've never played against Auburn. Uh, I don't know. I I wouldn't mind them playing Auburn in a bowl game. I don't care about a home and home against Auburn. That's not one I really care much about. So the Arkansas one I think is cool because I think Notre Dame would like to recruit that region. I think that's a cool one. Uh, Notre Dame has never played Texas Tech. Don't care to play Texas Tech. Uh, that's a that's a Pac twelve. That's a uh, a Big Twelve team that Notre Dame has never played. I'm trying to see who is the other Big Twelve that Notre Dame has never played. Got West Virginia, TCU, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma State. They've never played Kansas State. Um, I'd be fine if they got a home and home with Kansas State. Be fine. I I don't really. I don't really. It's not going to like move the needle for me if they do play them. But I mean, I'd be fine. Be fine with that. So those are a couple power fives that they've played, and none of them are necessarily move the needle ones for me. I think Auburn maybe, but I'd rather that be a bowl game. I don't. I'm not really someone who cares much about playing the true SEC teams, like the southeastern SEC teams. I care more about you know you want to play in Arkansas, you want to play in Missouri. They have played Missouri. 
uh, in the past. Yes, uh, not a bunch. They've played them four times in the past. Uh, they're two and two against Missouri. The last time they played was 1984. Uh, is the last time they played. Uh, Notre Dame won that 16 to four. Notre Dame also beat Missouri in 1970. And then Missouri won in 72 and 78 uh, are the two times that Missouri beat them. So they have played Missouri four times. They've played Georgia three times, Ole Miss twice, Tennessee eight times, LSU 12 times, AM five times, most of bowl games. Alabama eight times, South Carolina five times, Florida once, Vanderbilt three times. So that's Notre Dame's uh, track record in CSEC. And, and on top of the teams that I just mentioned, they have not played in the past. J.P. Buellsfeld, my friend, what recruit did you most underestimate and what recruit was most disappointing to you? I, I go first, Drew Tranquil and Dane Christ. I, I, I liked Drink, Drew Tranquil coming out, so I wouldn't say one for me. Underestimate, uh, I didn't think Kyron Williams was going to be that good. I mean, I thought he'd be a nice rotation back. I thought he was a really good football player. I just didn't see the projection for him. Uh, thought he'd be like a nice dual threat guy could be a number two back. I never saw Kyron Williams as a lead running back. And he, and he was, he was definitely that. So he, I definitely underestimated Kyron Williams. I'll still say the biggest disappointment for me is Josh, um, Josh Barajas. I love that kid coming out. And the reasons he didn't make it um, were disappointing, you know, just didn't work, had some other issues, but man, I thought he was going to be good. I really thought he was going to be good. Dane Chris was disappointing, but I don't blame that all on Dane. I thought he got ruined by Charlie Molnar. But, you know, Dane was always going to be inaccurate. But Dane had a big arm. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt against Michigan in 2010, they beat Michigan. I mean, they thoroughly outplayed Michigan. Michigan came back after Dane went out, and they put Nate Montana and then Tom Reese in the game. That's when Michigan came back and, and got into that game. But um, Notre Dame was – was I'm trying to remember what the – they outscored him pretty significantly when Dane Christ was in the game. But they, they were playing really well. He'd thrown that – um, he had had an option run. He got hurt. That let him down on a drive. But I, um, I, I feel like Notre Dame wins that game if Dane Chris doesn't get hurt. I, I really do. I really do. All right, let's go back to some more here. We've got uh, Gideon Rosa says, "What happened to Graham Mertz and Bo Nix? Extremely talented coming to high school, but both not developing like they should." I disagree with you on Bo Nix. I, I have had a different view on Bo Nix than a lot of people. I think Bo Nix's biggest problem at Auburn was, A, the expectations were too high, and, B, he played in a garbage offense that didn't fit his skill set. He made it. He went to Auburn because his dad went to Auburn. He didn't go to Auburn, in my opinion, because he fit that offense, because he didn't. And and um, I think that was a mistake. Graham Mertz just never showed the feel for the game. I mean, and that happens sometimes. I mean, we see even now you see the arm talent, or excuse me, the arm strength, I should say. But he's just a kid that I never saw much as a uh, – he just hasn't developed mentally the way that you'd want him to. He just doesn't read defenses the way you want him to. He just doesn't – he doesn't have the accuracy you want him to. So that one, um, he hasn't developed. But, I mean, Bo Nix was a really good football player last year. And and I feel like people have just kind of put Bo into this, well, he is what he is because of his first two years box – and they're not willing to kind of evaluate him for what he's doing now. They're still kind of looking at him as like the guy at Auburn. And he was an inconsistent player at Auburn. I won't, I won't dispute that. You know, but but Bo Nix last year threw for 3,593 yards, rushed for 510 yards, and accounted for 43 touchdowns and had seven picks. How's that not developing like he should? That's exactly what Bo should have been. I think the problem with him was is at Auburn he was wasted because Auburn was a was just a, a hot mess, an absolute hot mess under Gus Malzahn. 
And so I don't I don't blame Bo Nix for that. I don't. I, I don't. He he got into a, a real offense and he thrived, in my opinion. And um, you know, and he's handled a lot of adversity. So I I have a lot of respect for Bo. Is he a star? No. Was he? Should he have been a five star? No. He shouldn't have. I never thought he was. But I think he catches way too much heat. Way too much heat, in my opinion. Gideon Rosa says, "All oh, have you been back to Polito since the renovation? I have not. I need to." Um, I've been I've been talking about and I I got to talk to them about it, but I was thinking about like maybe trying to do something like a Friday night thing. Get together. I don't even know if they still have people there since the fire, but um, doing like maybe a get together Friday night before the Blue Gold game, uh, and just getting pizza. Everybody getting pizza. I'll, I'll pay for it, but I'm I'm not sure if they can do that. I got to reach out to them and, and see if that's something that they'll do. So. Um, but no, I have not. I have not. It's because like wh- where we live, it's kind of far away. I just don't get out there as much as I'd like to. It's great pizza, though. It really is. And they don't deliver out here, so that's the other problem. Adam Blair says, a duo of Joe Alt and Ronnie Stanley or Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin? I'm I'm going Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin. I mean, Quentin Nelson is such a dominant player. And Zach Martin was, uh, to me, a better college player than Ronnie Stanley in my opinion. I think Zach Martin's one of the most underrated offensive linemen I've ever seen. The fact that he only it was one year was a was a second team all American by like one outlet in one year so undersells how good he was in Notre Dame his last two years. So undersells it. So with all due respect to Joe Walton, Ronnie Stanley, I'm going Q and Zach Martin. Now could that change after the 2023 season? Sure. But what we well, you know Ronnie Stanley had one really, really good year and even then he was still inconsistent. Came up like five sacks in that his all American year. So I'm going with those with that with that duo. And that's an easy one for me. With all due respect, and Ronnie and Joe are great, but Zach Martin and Quentin Nelson arguably are the two best offensive linemen Notre Dame has had in in the last ten plus years. David Lowe says, "Are you confident Rudolph will coach the three stars up like he stand though?" I, again, David, I let me. Can I just watch him coach like one game at Notre Dame first? Like I I don't know. I I've I've given you my opinion on Joe Rudolph already, right? Like I think he did some nice things in Wisconsin. I don't think he's in the same level here. He's standing. I think he's way better than Jeff Quinn. Uh, am I confident? I, I don't know. How can I be confident if he's never coached a game before? I can tell you that that I've I've come around. I think he did a good job at Wisconsin. Not great. Good job at Wisconsin. And and he's a guy that that people that I know have a great deal of respect for him as a coach. How he treats people is is everything I hear is good things. And I've heard he's a good recruiter. I don't love what he's doing so far, but. Um, uh, the thing is, though, these guys aren't three stars. Like Joe Alt always had the high ceiling. I had him as a three and a half star player coming out, but he had a four and a half star upside because the tools were always there. You kind of act like it's like taking these guys with no talent because they're three stars and then coaching them and turning them into great players. Though the three star part was wrong. That was wrong. And obsessing over stars is wrong. I'm. It, it just is. It's very misguided. Every player needs to be evaluated on an individual basis based on his ability and talent, not what some analyst at some service, and they're getting worse and worse every year, says about a kid. So I- I- am I confident he'll do it? I've Like Heastan, I have no idea. I have no idea. Nobody's as good as Harry Heastan, in my opinion. Can Joe Rudolph be a really good coach? Yes, he can. If he just repeats what he did at Wisconsin, he'll be fine. Because you know what he did at Wisconsin? Ryan, how many of those guys that he put in the NFL were big-time recruits? Ryan did research on so like two of them of all the guys he put in the NFL, like maybe two of them were, were four star guys. The rest of them were like two and three stars. And so um, 
he's did it in Wisconsin, and he's going to be working with a better quality of player at Notre Dame than he did at Wisconsin. At least he better be. So um, he will be early on. That's for darn sure. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And, look, honestly, it's not about the individual players, David. It's how do you get that group of five to play together? How many of the guys that Michigan had are going to be first-round draft picks from the last two years? Maybe none. I don't think any. But they played great together. And that's what matters. Clemson's offensive line in 2016 didn't have any high draft picks on it. I think I think Jackson Carmen is like what a, was he a second or third round pick Ryan second round pick it's the highest drafted guy they had and he was mediocre in college he got drafted off tools and reputation in my opinion like their sixteen and eighteen offensive line their best linemen were like either undrafted Mitch Hyatt was an undrafted free agent he was part of two national championship teams at Clemson I believe and uh, you know I think they had a guard that went like the fourth round their right short right tackle was drafted in like the fourth or fifth round. But as a unit, they played really well together. And that's all I care about at the offensive line. Do you play great as a unit? I'll, I'll say it to you like this. Ohio State's defensive line and linebackers are going to have a lot more day one and day two draft picks from the last two years than Michigan will have on their offensive line. And Michigan's offensive line kicked their freaking butts both times. Both times. And that's what matters. That's what matters. So let's get to Patrick Tolan. Uh, it's been a minute. What up? Who you picking for the Masters? Patrick, I have no clue who's even in the Masters. I, I am not a golf guy. I watched the the only time I've ever watched the Masters was, I think it was my freshman year of college when Tiger won his. And it was like that. It wasn't that the year he won like by like a ton of strokes, I believe. After that, I don't care about golf. I really don't. I, I just... I don't know who's in it. I don't know who's still famous golfers. Lit on, please. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just I can't watch golf. If I, if if my wife walked in and I was watching golf, she might smack me upside the back of the head and just wonder what's wrong with me. Like I just, she's shaking her head now. Like, yep, I would. Uh, I just, I can't watch golf. I don't. Now, more respect to you if you do. That's that's fine. It's just for me personally. I just, I can't watch golf, man. I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. She said, my wife just, she's bringing me some tea because my throat's about to go. Uh, so she's bringing me some hot tea. She said, I'd have you, you had to have you get your head checked. 